Hello, and welcome to episode 16 of the Pharma Forum podcast. My name's Dominic Tyre, and I'm Pharma Forum's creative and editorial director. For this episode, I met Pfizer's Dr. Olivia Ashman in London to talk about the UK cancer landscape. As the pharma company's UK oncology medical director, it's certainly something about which she knows a thing or two, and it provided an opportunity to dig into the impact of the NHS long-term plan in cancer and look at what pressure points the UK health service currently faces. We also discussed some of the challenges for patient access to medicines in the UK with a focus on new innovative treatments and whether the new VPAS scheme will improve the situation. We then finished up with a look at some of Pfizer's collaborative work in oncology in the UK. You can find more details of this episode, including a download link for the podcast and information about other instalments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher and SoundCloud, where you can find and subscribe to it by searching for Pharma Forum. Olivia, welcome to the Farm Forum podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, perhaps we could start off with, uh, I want you to say a few words to, to introduce yourself to, to the listeners. So, um, yes, my name's Dr. Olivia Ashman. I'm the uh, UK Oncology Medical Director at Pfizer uh, Limited. And we're, of course, given your, your, your job title, we're here to talk around the, um, the, the UK uh, cancer landscape today. Uh, and um, some of the issues around um, patient access to, to medicines within in, within the UK. I wonder to, to start off with how how would you how would you uh, characterise the UK cancer landscape? Well, um, cancer in the UK is increasing in prevalence, um, and currently there are two and a half million people living with cancer in the UK today. Um, it is increasing, and, and one in two of us within our lifetimes will be diagnosed with cancer. So you know there are some concerning statistics out there. However, thanks to rapid advances in both science and technology, increasingly innovative medicines are being discovered and developed. And as a result, more people than ever now are living um, with their cancer and surviving beyond cancer. And for Pfizer, oncology is a key focus of research and development because we recognize that continued innovation is really essential as there's considerable unmet need, particularly in rarer and harder to treat cancers. And in terms of uh, what you see with, with um, your, your work with, with the NHS, what sort of pressure points do you see the health service in the UK being under with, with respect to, um, uh, to cancer at the moment? Well, um, I worked as a doctor in the NHS for 12 years and, and most of my team is made of um, doctors and pharmacists from the NHS. So we all understand the, the ecosystem you know, very, very um, deeply. Um, I would say that the key areas of a pressure point that spring to my mind are around those of capacity and resource issues. Um, currently, there are 100,000 full-time vacancies, including 40,000 nursing vacancies in the NHS, and that puts huge amounts of pressure on staff. Um, people are surviving with their cancer for longer, which is a great thing, uh, but this places more pressure on oncology clinics, which are commonly running way above capacity. Um, and in addition, as people are living longer, um, they are getting more comorbidities and therefore treating them is becoming increasingly complex. Uh, we also rec recognise that as innovative uh, technologies come through, it does place additional demands on people, such as having to change existing care pathways. But with these new innovations, you can also create more headroom in the NHS, which is why we try and be part of the solution 
and why we have delivered 23 partnerships with the NHS to really try and focus and help with capacity issues and improve service delivery and also the patient's experience. Mm -hmm. And look, looking at, at um, the, the the landscape from an industry perspective, what, what what sort of things are challenging pharmaceutical companies such as such as Pfizer? Um, I think that the main challenge is ensuring that people with cancer are able to access our medicines. It, it still continues to be one of our biggest challenges. Um, the uptake of cancer medicines in the UK is slower than countries such as France, Germany, Italy and Spain. And although more people are surviving with their disease, the cancer survival in the UK is still lagging behind other economically comparable countries. And as a country, the UK invests less in its healthcare than the EU average. And uh, just sticking with, with that point then, so I, I wonder if you can tell me a little bit more then around uh, what, what's the, the current state of patient access to new innovative cancer drugs in the UK? Um, well, the UK, um, as, as I might have mentioned, has a slower uptake of new cancer medicines compared to um, other EU countries. And the UK is among the 10 worst countries for cancer survival. Um, a recent uh, report last year by the ICR, the Institute of Cancer Research, found that highly innovative cancer medicines were less likely to have been approved in the NHS by NICE than less innovative medicines. However, we do recognise that NICE have a really difficult job to do. Um, they have a finite amount of resource and they're trying to ensure the sustainability of our healthcare system. Um, we want this too. Um, and we also want people in the UK with cancer to be able to benefit from breakthrough medicines. Um, so the NICE Methods Review will offer a perfect opportunity to keep up with the exciting new era of the scientific and the medical advances and to consider new ways of assessing value. Um, and we share a common goal, which is to improve patient outcomes. And we want to work with them to really try and achieve the best possible results for patients. And uh, look, looking at the... Um at how uh, new innovations are, are, are appraised. It must be a, a particularly challenging time for uh, health technology appra um, appraisal bodies such as, such as NICE within cancer. You have such a wave of um, new developments. It must be for, for pharmaceutical companies a really exciting time uh, for those involved within the science, thinking about um, sort of personalised medicine and uh, immuno-oncology and um, some of the innovations that are, that, that are coming through. But... Um, when, when you look at, at some patient access to new and innovative cancer drugs, perhaps like uh, such as um, some of the ones I've mentioned there, how how well do you think that that is going at the moment? What, what's the current state of, of patient access to, to innovative cancer drugs? Well, um, as you say, it's a very exciting time. Um, it's uh, great for people like me who joined Pfizer because we wanted to be able to improve, you know, many more patients' lives um, and have a greater impact. Um, you know, there are innovative medicines coming through. Um, the Institute of Cancer Research uh, report at the end of last year um, did, however, flag that um, highly innovative medicines um, are less likely to approve for use by the NHS um, by NICE than uh, less innovative medicines. Um, and I think a lot more medicines are coming through as combinations so, um, and also coming through for um, rarer groups of, of patients. Um, you mentioned personalised medicines. Um, that's a very exciting um, development. Um, it means that you are now able to tailor a medicine to a particular individual's genetic or environmental or lifestyle factors. 
and really um, be able to give them a, a medicine designed for, for their particular cancer and their particular genetic driver. So it, it is, you know, really exciting, but it does make it harder as you get smaller and smaller cohorts and groups of data to be able to assess um, these medicines and to be able to understand that, you know, how are they going to work in the real world and how um, are they going to work in the longer term? And because you're you're having smaller data sets coming through, so it is a challenging um, conundrum for um, reimbursement bodies, um, and it's one that we you know we're really working with them to try and help find solutions um, and to support them with this. And we really welcome the review of the the methods that's coming uh, later this year, and the fact that they're engaging industry and and the the, the wider body to really try and work and and see how they can you know, ensure that the system is able to appraise uh, and uh, recognise the, the, the new advances in the science. And I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure there are no easy answers to, to, to the next question. Maybe some, some answers at this stage, may, maybe not. But I'm just thinking around um, the types of, of evidence that NICE would traditionally require that's maybe not yet available or going to be much harder to come by for, but certainly for rarer cancers, just by, by nature of the, uh, the patient populations uh, involved within them. But maybe for also for the combination therapies um, in, in thinking about how many more uh, clinical trials um, might be might be needed how's how's Pfizer approaching uh, that side of things in terms of pro trying to help bodies like nice provide the right data um, to them or, or the kind of data that they need to be able to make a decision is that is that where, where real-world evidence comes in or might come in or uh, are there other things that, that VICE is doing? Um, I think, um, you know, in terms of making sure that patients are able to access medicines as quickly as possible, um, appraisals are being brought forward um, so that there is a final decision around CHMP time. And I think, as you've pointed out, this this can create some um, difficulties trying to appraise a, a medicine earlier in its cycle because you might not have all the information at that time point um, and you may not know whether in the longer term it's going to have the effect that you want. Often, you know, when you're bringing it forward, you may not have all the data you'd like, like overall survival. And it's really trying to get um, a balance, strike a balance where patients can get access to medicines quickly and you've also got a solid evidence base for NICE to be able to use at the time they're making that decision. Um, I think uh, um, things like the CDF, uh, which helps um, companies be able to have a, a period of time when they can collect more data and more evidence is, is really a good thing and we're very supportive of that. Um, and I think real-world evidence is also, you know, very key. And, you know, there's a lot of discussion around outcome-based um, products. Um, and we are doing, within our oncology team, um, lots of real-world data studies, um, mm -hmm. looking at evidence um, of, of medicines and trying to uh, do these ahead of time so that by the time we come to our NICE submission, we can uh, remove some of the uncertainty for them. Okay. And, and think about just the, the sort of... Uh, real-world uh, evidence studies that you're, you're currently running. Um, are, are you able to tell me a little bit around some of the advantages of, of that approach or some of the, the, the um, learnings, if that's the right word, to, that, that, that you're, you're uncovering from, from, take, from following that path? Um, well, I think yeah, there's several advantages of real-world data, um, which is that you are looking at seeing how the drug actually has an impact in the real world in, in, your, in your normal population. In a randomised control trial, 
it's a very strict confines of a clinical trial. There's very strict eligibility criteria, inclusion, exclusion criteria. Um, sometimes people argue that patients could be receiving a, a more intense sort of care or, or you know, followed up more frequently, and they tend to be at sort of specialist centres um, when there's lots of um, expertise in that particular area. And so trying to translate and ensure that in the real world they have um, that same output is important. Um, and obviously looking at sequencing, you know, people have often have medicines before and medicines after. So what you want to know is really how your, your medicine is going to help you decide and the, well, the more importantly, the clinicians and the patients decide what is the right medicine for the right patient at the right time. So real world data is you know, fundamental in, in doing that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. So, and looking now at, at uh, I suppose, the, the much bigger picture and some of the um, uh, agreements and plans that have, that have been put into place relatively recently, I'm thinking um, first and foremost of the, the, the uh, NHS uh, long-term plan um, and how it might improve the, the, the council landscape. We had a little there's a little, little bit of information in it around maybe a de- desire for greater partnerships, some, some uh, um, earlier um, diagnosis points. Um, how do you think that the, the plan is going to, to improve uh, cancer in, in the UK? Well, um, I think you know, we're really excited by the long-term plan in the fact that um, cancer is really a key focus and it's an emphasis for mm. the NHS. It, it, it's, a, it's a general plan for the whole NHS. It's a general plan for the whole NHS. Rather than a cancer-specific one, of course, yes. isn't it? Um, but cancer features heavily. Mm. Um, and like you say, there's a lot of focus on earlier detection and prevention, which is fantastic because obviously that will save patients' lives. But it's also important that um, treatment also receives focus because um, sadly it's not always possible to prevent cancer or to diagnose it at an early stage. Um, I think there's a number of things that personally excite me in the fact that um, you know, they want to work more collaboratively with the NHS as you mentioned. Um, it's sort of termed from a nice do to a must do in the recent paper from um, the NHS and the ABPI. Um, and I think um, that's something that we strongly also feel that together we can you know, do so much better for patients than working in silos. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really want to increase that as well. It's no longer the transactional relationships of the past. Um, I think um, the fact that you also have genomic testing available for all patients with cancer is brilliant. Um, this is a first time in the world that you'll get systemically um, offered whole genome sequencing to cancer patients. And this means that you can have um, the increased possibility of precision medicine, um, and you can also um, help with clinical trial efficiencies by stratifying patients. So you are, you know, just getting the patients who have the genetic drivers that your your medicine is targeting. Um, I also think we touched upon it earlier the um, research and development side of things, but the increased investment in real world testing that the NHS also wants to do will really help in our understanding of of disease and the impact that medicines have in the real world. Um, and it's you know cancer is a moving target, so data really is key to understanding what happens, particularly once you put you know, the medicines out there with other medicines and trying to work out which you know what order medicines should be used mm-hmm. for a patient to give the best possible outcome. So. Um, I think there's lots of things in the um, NHS long-term plan that really resonate with Pfizer, people at Pfizer, and, and sort of very much aligned with the kind of um, path that we're on to try and uh, improve patients' lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, staying with um, uh, NHS England um, for, for a moment, so we heard also recently uh, about its plans uh, to uh, start to prioritise uh, tumour agnostic um, uh, drugs 
how, how do you think that's going to, to change things? Um, well, we're, we're very supportive of the, this um, approach. I think, um, you know, having a, a tumor agnostic drug um, for research in a, for a long time, um, we've moved away from sort of the organ approach uh, system. Um, and with tumor agnostic drugs, um, it doesn't matter where the cancer developed in the body or the tissue type it developed. Um, you have a, a medicine that targets a particular molecular alteration and, and that's the indication for the medicine. Um, I think um, being able to expedite innovative medicines uh, you know, through the process quickly it, you know, could be an exemplar for um, the um, ACC. And I think that um, you know, this is something that we definitely welcome and I'd like to see more of because it mm -hmm. will benefit patients such as, you know, rarer paediatric cancers and things like that. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, moving on to a slightly more uh, in industry-focused uh, topic, um, we, we had, uh, I think towards the end, end of last year, the, the new, the new uh, industry pricing um, scheme signed, uh, uh, VPAS. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder what your thoughts are on, on that scheme, and, and, but particularly how it could improve patient access. Um, well, with the VPAS, the Voluntary uh, Pricing and Access Scheme, um, we're supportive of it. Um, we really applaud the commitment to engage with um, industry and also patients and, and the clinical community. And I think there are two main areas where um, it's likely to improve patient access. Uh, firstly, is in the review of the NICE's uh, methods for technology appraisals. And second is in the development of the NHSE commercial framework. I think that will enable a more flexible approach to um, commercial access arrangements and will be really important in going forwards and getting new medicines to patients. Um, I think... There are also a few other aspects of it, such as the increase in NICE appraisals, so more medicines will be appraised by NICE, um, and also any significant indication changes. Um, it will also accelerate um, the appraisal of non-cancer medicines. So for NHS patients at large, they may receive um, medicines, access to medicines quicker, um, up to six months quicker in some cases. Um, and I think another key aspect is um, around measuring innovation uptake. Um, this is quite key in improving uptake um, and the use of clinically and cost-effective medicines. And we know that there is quite sort of a, a difference um, across the country in, in the speed of uptake of medicines. Um, and lastly, the, the better horizon scanning and more engagement in that process will help flag um, innovative medicines coming through uh, the system earlier and earlier. So I think all of these things combined could really go towards improving um, you know, the speed in which medicines uh, reach patients. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I'd, I'd like to um, focus now, if we may, on um, some, of, some of Pfizer's collaborative work. So mm -hmm. uh, how you're working with well, the NHS, perhaps, but also the wider health, healthcare sector. I mean, if we, if we just start off with a, a basic look at this, what, in, in, in your opinion, are appropriate ways, I suppose, for, for pharmaceutical companies to collaborate with healthcare stakeholders? It's obviously a, an area with some potential minefields, I think it would, would be fair to say, but what, what are appropriate ways for, for the industry to work with, with stakeholders to improve uh, the lives of patients with cancer? Well, um, first and foremost, in any collaboration of, you know, where the focus is trying to improve the lives of people with cancer, I think you know, these are the people that need to be involved. I remember hearing a patient once uh, saying, uh, no decision about me without me, and I think this is you know, very true. Um, we touched upon earlier the um, recent report um, from the ABPI and the NHS Confederation saying that this needs to be scaled up, um, and there are you know, 
several wins from collaborating. You can um, help with the sustainability of the NHS. Um, it helps industry to demonstrate evidence of impact. Um, and most importantly, patients will really gain from the, the pooling of expertise and of resources between industry and the NHS. In terms of uh, appropriate ways to collaborate, um, we have a very robust framework um, within industry, which is um, guides us very clearly on, on how to appropriately engage. Um, and this is overseen by the ABPI Code of Practice, and the whole purpose of this is to ensure that companies operate in a responsible, um, ethical and professional manner and there's transparency in all, all the collaboration. So um, I think collaborations are definitely the way forward. Um, I think everybody benefits from them, but it's you know, important that we make sure that the system is, is um, governed and, and that, that there's a framework already in place for that. Mm -hmm. So collaboration is important to... Um... Uh, to, to help improve the lives of, of patients with, with cancer. What sort of things is, is Pfizer doing then at, at the moment in, in, in the UK to, uh, in, in terms of these sorts of, of collaborations? Well, um, in the UK, in, in Pfizer Oncology, we're really lucky to have um, a dedicated team, which is called the Patient Experience Team, um, who's you know, very much focused on improving the lives uh, of people with cancer and their experience and cancer care within the NHS. Um, and they've done 23 partnerships with the NHS now around this. Um, and they don't have a cookie cutter model. What they do is they, they go into a hospital. Um, they first of all help them understand what the particular issue is. Um, then they look at um, the root cause, the demand in the pathway, um, any capacity issues. And then they work out what would be a great outcome for, for patients and also for the staff. And they do lots of you know, questionnaires and gain insights. And they're very experienced. They use lots of different tools um, to do this. Just a couple of um, examples of, on how um, you know, we've been working uh, with the NHS. Um, one is around artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. um, artificial intelligence and machine learning is increasing hugely. I think there's a lot of potential for its use in the healthcare system. Um, I was at a talk, an innovative uh, forum talk uh, in Cambridge just the last couple of days, and they said that um, and we've now reached the level of a mouse's brain, and by 20, I think, 23, I think it is, we'll reach the, the level of a human brain, and by 2045, it'll be the, the, the brain capacity of all humans across the globe. So, mm. you know, there's so many different places you can use um, AI and machine learning in the NHS, um, and we really want to be in, involved in this in this future um, direction of the NHS and the Belinda Cancer Centre were also trying to um, look at ways of improving um, the way they operate and, and support their patients. So what we did is um, we, we worked with them and IBM Watson and with patient representatives to create um, an AI platform called Rita, um, which is a platform that can answer questions that patients might have. And these questions could be um, any, ranging from logistical questions, such as, you know, where can I park in the hospital? Um, when are the visiting hours on the ward? Um, to questions more specific about their treatment. So they may have questions like, um, you know, I'm having chemotherapy on Wednesday and I'm going to a wedding on Saturday. Is it okay to drink a glass of wine? And these questions, you know, anyone who's ever been a patient will realise that they come up, you know, 24-7 in the middle of the night, not necessarily in the consultation mm. period and, and room. And, and to be able to get answers from these questions is, is really, really important to patients. 
Um, and sometimes you know, it may not recall um, when they see the doctor or nurse or they may not want to bother them with what they would feel is maybe a silly question. Um, but having Rita means that they can, at any time that the question pops into their, mouth, their, their minds, they can, they can ask it and, and find an answer. And it also has the added bonus of freeing up time for the, the staff. So clinical nurse specialists can spend about two hours answering very frequently asked questions. And for them to be able to have Rita to support that, and it frees them up to be able to you know, support patients with maybe more complex needs. So mm-hmm. it's a, you know, beneficial to, to all. Um, other collaborations um, have also been, you know, it's not just about the, the treatment the patient's book, it's about prevention as well. Um, and we have done a, a project in Manchester with the NHS England, um, which is trying to reduce um, smoking rates. Um, and this is based on a, a project done in um, Canada and Ottawa. Um, and it's the, the aim is to decrease smoking rates by a third by 2020. And so Pfizer's role is really in the training and in the project management of the rollout of this. And it's um, based in, in secondary care setting in, in within uh, Shaw Hospital. And they've trained staff from uh, you know, porters up to professors on how to have conversations with patients about their smoking. And then they've um, looked at healthcare professionals and chain, trained them up on the different me- methods of how to you know, give up smoking. And you know, later in the year, we're going to get sort of the report with the outcomes of this. So looking at um, you know, rates of smoking sensation, rates of inpatient stay, rates of readmission, rates of cardiovascular events, and, and to see you know, the impact that this, uh, this program has had. Um, so you know, we're involved in sort of the, the whole care pathway from prevention mm. to, to treatment uh, and so forth. So, um, yeah, these are just some examples um, I want sure. to share. Uh, it certainly sounds like the, the uh, report, when it's, when it's um, uh, available, will make some, some fascinating reading to see how, how those, those uh, initiatives uh, that work can, can change uh, healthcare and change, or change patients' lives, really. Just um, moving back to, to, to Rita for, for a second. Um, so how, uh, is that uh, um, an online application? How, how do patients access it? Is it uh, something that they can um, uh, find via their, via their mobile? Or? So at the moment, it's still in the, um, uh, the phase where they've got the prototype and they've designed it and they're now building it out. So they, okay. have, the set of, so they have their set of questions and mm. they're now working with various external bodies um, that support patients um, to basically increase dramatically the the number of questions because they've got uh, I think a hundred commonly asked questions from one group they're working with a national group um, that support patients in furthering that you know, more and I think um, you know the the Welsh uh, government and people like that have, have in, been interested and I think they're going to maybe take it out at the moment it's affecting and um, supporting lung cancer and breast cancer patients but there's potential for it to sort of even have a, a wider remit, but it's. Um, I'm not sure. I think it's going. It's going live later this year, I think. But I'd have to check with the, the project team, which is the patient experience team. Okay, sure. Well, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll hear a lot more about it when when, when it's, it's um, released and released into the wild and, and goes goes live. So, well, we've got quite a lot of ground already. So, for, I mean, finally, what I wanted to to find out from you. Well, was what your hopes are for the for the future then in in cancer treatment in in the UK? My hope is that we we continue to discover more and more innovative treatments, um, and that we basically change cancer from being 
an illness to something that's a long-term condition where people will have a normal life expectancy, where they can uh, live a normal quality of life and they can live that life outside of the hospital. Mm-hmm. That's my, my hope. Okay, well, Olivia, thank you very much for, for joining me on the Pharma Forum podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. And that brings to an end episode 16 of the Pharma Forum podcast and my conversation with Pfizer's Dr. Olivia Hashman about the UK cancer landscape. You can find more details of this episode, including a download link for the podcast and information about other instalments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher and SoundCloud, where you can find and subscribe to it by searching for PharmaForum. Finally, don't forget to visit our website to sign up for daily or weekly email pharmaceutical news and analysis bulletins. And also follow us on Twitter, where we are at PharmaForum. Forum.